Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. And once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest, huge guest, skate punk originator and God from The Faction, from Odd Man Out, from Soda, and from the brand new band, Urethane, Steve Caballero is here. More on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. I love you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do, buddy. And everything, but, you know, the hard work, too. If you want to get in touch with me directly, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at left for Damien. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is just by telling all your friends about it. You can also head over to uh, where you subscribe or listen to this thing and we'll subscribe to it and rate it. And uh, that, that helps. And if you want to help even more, head over to patreon.com slash turned out of punk. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone that does do that and support the show. It could not happen without all of you. And speaking of support and thanks, this show would not be possible without the kind support of the fine folks at Vans, who, who I've known for a long time and a few years ago said, Damien, we like this podcast. We just don't want you to have to do it out of your own pocket. And they helped me cover the cost of this thing. And for that, I cannot thank them enough. And hopefully one day I'll be doing those live House of Vans parties again because that, that's, that's a huge thrill. I can't wait to do that. Um, speaking of things that I cannot wait to do, I play in a band called Fucked Up, and we will be going on tour in outdoor venues with a band called Faith No More. Legends, <laughs> Leg- a band, Legends, Faith No More. You can find out more information on the internet. Just search Fucked Up, Faith No More Tour, and you will find uh, the dates for that thing as well as other information, including... Uh, Fucked Up is putting out a bunch of new records or reissues of records. We are finally putting out Epics in Minutes on Get Better Records, our original singles compilation, which has never come out on vinyl. Finally, it is coming out. Could not be happier about being part of the Get Better family. And, uh, well, finally, people stop asking me if that thing's ever going to come out on vinyl. Also coming out on vinyl is Year of the Horse, Fucked Up's hour and a half long song. It is coming out on Tank Crimes Records. It's a beautiful package put together by our buddy Scotty Karate over there at Tank Crimes, and you can check that out. And finally, Matador Records, our old label, will be reissuing David Comes to Life for the 10th anniversary of David Comes to Life. And in January, in theory, we will be traveling all over the place to play David Comes to Life. But for now, pre-order that record over there at Matador Records. And uh, I think that's it. All right, on to today's show. Today on the show, a bonafide legend from not one, but two worlds. First of all, you cannot talk about skateboarding without talking about Steve Cavallaro. He originated Tricks. He's one of the original members of the Bones Brigade. He is a pioneer of skateboarding. But lesser talked about, but still talked about, is the fact that Steve Cavallaro is a punk rock god. He has played in a bunch of bands, you know, like not only the Faction, who are one of the original skate punk bands, but he also played an Odd Man Out, Shovelhead, Soda, uh, he, he did some solo stuff, but also super tough, super cool tough guys he did as well, and finally, a brand new band called Urethane, and Urethane has a new record called Chasing Horizons, which is coming out on September 24th on Cybertracks, and this just continues Steve's legacy. Steve Caballero is not a guy who's obsessed with like just one era or one sound within punk rock. He he's into the whole thing, and you can tell when you look at his 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 oeuvre, to put it to put it pretentiously, because he's done stuff in all different styles. And we talk about this on the show. Um, I don't think I need to ramble on anymore for this one. Uh, this is a fun conversation with a legend. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Steve Caballero on Turned Out. A punk. Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, as I was just telling you off air, I'm a big fan and waited in a <laughs> long line years ago at the Warp Tour and met you. And uh, I, I actually asked you back then if I could interview you for my zine. And you said, of course, I unfortunately never did the zine. Yeah. But here we are, 20 some odd years later, and I have a podcast like every other asshole. So welcome to the podcast. Hey, no problem. So what city was it that we met? Uh, we met in the 
at Buffalo at the Buffalo stop of the Warp Tour. I'm from Toronto, but okay. we drove down for the second day of the Warp Tour because we just could not get enough of long lines and expensive water. Nice. <laughs> Those were <laughs> but, good times. Oh, it was an amazing time for me. Those are like, you know, I think, you know, looking back on it now, it's amazing how, especially in the last year or so, how much I appreciate those kind of mass events. And and I long mm-hmm. for a, a return to those. But I got to start this off the way they all start off, which is, Steve, how did you get in a punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Um, Well, what, what got me into punk was basically getting into rock and roll first. Um, I grew up on the east side, south side of San Jose, which was predominantly um, African-American, Hispanic. So the music choices back then were probably like R&B, soul, disco. Uh, Wasn't much rock floating around, you know, and it wasn't until I got into skateboarding around 1976 um, and went to one of my very first skateboard parks around 1978. um, I kind of discovered rock and roll, uh, bands like Led Zeppelin, um, Cheap Trick, um, Aerosmith, um, ACDC. And because I wanted to be a skateboarder, because I wanted to fit into what the skateboarders were listening to, um, I went to Tower Records and, and had my mom buy me some rock and roll, you know. And then from there, it's kind of spawned off quickly kind of into new wave uh, a lot of skateboarders started listening to like new wave so like devo and um, b52s gary newman the missing persons um and then i want to say around 1979 1980 um the ramones came around the sex pistols came around dead kennedys um and then I started listening to like B-52s. Um, and, uh, you know, from then I started going to shows and I heard of, heard of bands like Black Flag, Circle Jerks, um, The Adolescents, TSOL. And I just started getting into that kind of music. And that's when I felt like skateboarding and, and punk rock were kind of going hand in hand. And that's kind of where the direction of, of the music genre was heading uh because it kind of really fit the lifestyle of a skateboarder um it being very diy and very um especially when the skate all the skate parks closed um we kind of went kind of underground and tried to find our own skate spots built our own ramps and actually make our own zines you know i made a made a a zine back in 1981 called skate punk which that's awesome yeah, and it was, you know, Xerox copied pictures and it had to do with like finding skate spots and going to shows. I was going to a lot of shows um, with the friends from the skate park. And then around 1982, um, I decided I want to start playing music. And that's when we started the band The Faction and was based around skaters that skated at Winchester Skate Park with me. and learn how to play instruments and and we got together and started that band. Is that the first instance of skate punk? Like did you coin that term? I think so. I, I think so because, too. Because like you know, we were skaters and we were punkers and like the skinheads hated us, you know, the the guys uh the guys in the oi oi bands didn't like us cuz we were skaters, you know, we weren't fully like leathered out with spiked hair and you know, we were just, you know, skateboarders that like punk. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's awesome when you look at it, like sort of the sort of the twin growths that are happening with skateboarding and punk rock at the same time. Like you're saying, they kind of like, you know, you know, ultimately kind of emerge, I guess, at the same point, really, and kind of grow together throughout that time period. And there's a there's sort of this like intrinsic link between the two of them. And that starts, I guess, with people like yourself. Well, like, like I said, it was, you know skateboarding's always um gone hand in hand with music you know it's always fun to listen to your favorite music and skate you know and and the people that were locals at the park would bring in music that was um inspiring or 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 um influent influencing the scene and and what we were into and what got us really hyped up in skating 
And obviously, you know, like rock and roll definitely did, you know, but then it just started getting a little bit more kind of core and, and more like, you know, these people just wanting to start their own bands and not wait for like a, a mainstream label to pick you up. And so, you know, we just kind of, like I said, it was it was a, the whole DIY movement in the early '80s, you know, that 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 sparked the interest of making a band, touring, making our own T-shirts, making our own stickers, and playing the music that we liked. That was really high pace driven, you know, rough rough around the edges, you know, music, and and that's how skateboarding was, you know, uh, it was gnarly, and so the music was gnarly as well. Yeah, I think that I, I was listening to the Nines Club interview that you did, and mm-hmm. you're really talking about the DIY aspect of early skateboarding, like the fact that there weren't shops for you to go and buy this stuff. So you're like looking in a magazine, scoping out the way someone's gear looked, and then trying to replicate it yourself. Like it is really very DIY. And like you're describing your zine, like, you know, talking about finding skateboard spots, like you're finding illegal spots to, to skate at that point. Like it is a real DIY. You're building a sport or building a lifestyle. Oh, yeah, the- well, the parks were close, but like skateboarding got really popular in, in the mid seventies where they started building skateboard parks all over the place. And then they, they only last about two or three years and then they, they all shut down. Um, so the hype of skateboarding was pretty high in the late seventies. And then it just died right in 1980. And at that time I was 15 and we were just kind of like, I had, I had just turned pro um and i was in my rookie year and then just everything just started kind of crashing down on itself and i still was it was early in my career so i and so i kind of wanted to still continue to skate so i built my own ramp in my backyard vert ramp so i could keep up on my vert skills and then started skating backyard pools started skating street spots and we just kind of skated wherever we wanted but at, at the same time we were going to punk shows and I wanted to start a band and um, I learned how to play bass. And so it was the lifestyle that we were living from like 1980, you know, 182 to 85. It was just skateboarding wherever we could um, and playing, playing shows in the city, San Francisco, San Jose. We actually, I went on my very first U S tours in a small van with my band, the faction in 1984. And I never even toured skateboarding before, but I brought my skateboard with me and I skated all these different spots. And then the next year I switched to guitar. And so we were a five piece and we did the same thing. We brought a band with us called the drab. They, they were opener opener band from San Jose. And we did the same thing toured the U S again in a small van and skateboarded along the way. So, you know, that was, you know, we did that all on our own. We didn't have a label um, doing that for us. And our guitar player pretty much booked all our shows. I made t-shirts at my dad's shop and stickers and screened them myself. I would take them on tour to make money up to eat on tour. And that was the lifestyle we were living, you know. And um, in the meantime, you know, there was little competitions here and there, backyard competitions that were um, happening. Um but, you know, and at that time we were still making, um, started making skateboard videos uh, through Pal Peralta. So, you know, people were just starting to get VHS machines and, and, and able to like see skateboarding um, rather than just in the magazines, you could see it, you know, live on your TV, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so a lot of changes were going on within the skate, sport of skate, skateboarding, but also in punk rock, you know, and um, playing shows playing with really, really cool bands, you know. Um, I remember my first show I ever played was with Social Distortion um, in San Jose. That was 1982. We played with bands like Fear, um, shoot, JFA, um, The Exploited, TSOL, you know. Well, how aware were you of like these other sort of skateboard bands? Like you mentioned JFA, like how aware were you guys in the beginning of like the big boys and like the fact that there were other kids around your age that were, you know, really identifying with skateboarding and punk rock and really trying to bring the two together? 
Well, <clears throat> I remember doing a, um, a skate rock show for Trans World Magazine, and the big boys were on that as well. Um, Aggression was on that. JFA was on that. Um, so, you know, it. There, start, start, there was a lot of actually guys, um, you know, starting to start bands while they were skateboard pros and, and, and become musicians as well. And kind of like the two, the two kind of went hand in hand. We skate a session and then went to a gig that night. Um, but the whole, you know, skate, skate and destroy, skate rock, um, you know, Thrasher Magazine coined that when they made their first uh, compilation tape. And we, we, were, we were able to be part of that in 1983. Um, and then, you know, uh, that's where the, the term, they, Thrasher term the, made the term skate rock. Yeah. But you guys are kind of defining it, like you're saying, like you're doing a zine called skate punk prior to that, even. And like the, you know, and, and like you're saying, JFA and the big boys, it felt like there was this sort of like obviously it's much more pronounced in California, but like it felt like there's mm -hmm. almost this energy kicking off simultaneously around uh you know, certainly around America around that time, where just like a lot of people were kind of like really like you're saying, like the lifestyle just seems to go hand in hand of meshing the two together. Like I think even before Thrasher codifies it like you guys are kind of doing it on your own pretty much you know um jfa is what caught my interest in starting a band because i at that time i was uh, in around 1981 82 i started uh collecting records and i'd go to this local record shop and there was a 45 up on the wall and there's a picture of a guy turning on a ramp with this band sitting on there and i looked at the cover and it said jfa and then I'm like, what does that stand for? I was like, I read the backs like, oh, Jody Foster's Army. Oh, these guys are skateboarders and they also play punk rock. So that's, I always tell Brian Brandon that, you know, they're, they're the reason why I started, wanted to start the faction because um, I saw other skateboarders um, playing, playing music, playing in punk bands. And I wanted to do the same thing. I guess going back even before you're getting punk rock, what was the first concert you went to or first like, you know, live music you remember going to see? Uh, first gig. I wouldn't say concert. I never, like I said, I never went to any rock concerts or anything, mm -hmm. but first gig I ever went to was Black Flag was supposed to play at Briner Hall in San Jose and they never showed up. So it was a bunch of local bands um, that played before. Uh, but I remember uh, listening to a, um, a spoken word of Henry Rollins saying that they um, were going to a show in San Jose and they broke down on the grapevine and that was a show that I was, they were supposed to play. And I remember getting a black flag shirt from somewhere. Um, and I'm super stoked to like see this band, you know, that I've been listening to on like 45s and, and they never showed up. <laughs> so it was a black flag show that I, I, I was going to. Who are some of like those local first wave bands from San Jose? Like, obviously I know, like, you know, as you're saying the drab and the grim and sort of like, your wave of bands, but like, who were the first wave? Uh, Los Ovidados. Oh yeah. Yeah. was, uh, one of them. Um, there was executioner, um, the unaware, um, shoot, who else? Uh, the, there was a rockabilly band called the Kingpins. Um, uh, they they kind we kind of played shows together as well. Cause those were skateboarders in that as well. Um, there was Bay Area bands like Whipping Boy, mm -hmm. um, Code of Honor from San Francisco, absolutely. Um, Social Unrest. Um, there was, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of local bands, you know, and uh, those local scenes from San Francisco all the way down to San Jose was was huge. And like I said, a lot of these guys were skateboarders. You know, a lot of guys I, I knew that in these bands, I've, I'd seen them at the skate park earlier and they were in, and they started playing music, and you know. Yeah, like Code so. of Honor skated, right? I think. Yeah, they did. They did as well. It, it really does. Like you're saying, it feels like every town had a really kicking scene. Like, it's amazing when you look back on it. Like, it's almost like, I guess, 60s garage rock where there was just like an explosion of youth energy where just so many kids were starting bands. Like hundreds of bands well yeah i mean <clears throat> we played um i remember the faction played in seattle and hearing about this band called green river opening up for us and 
lo and behold, uh, two of the ghost guys that were in that band ended up uh, starting Pearl Jam. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's kind of cool, you know, it's kind of cool to hear that, you know, that, that uh, we play with other bands that, that, that um, you know, started, became bigger bands as well. Look. It's amazing when you start getting into it, like where everyone went, you know, like mm-hmm. you look at the lineup for Mystic Records and how many people in bands on Mystic wound up doing other things, you know, or, or wound up, you know, involved in music in other places. Like you can connect Josh Brolin to RKL, you know, like it just feels like the mm-hmm. punk diaspora was was immense where everyone went. Um, going back, I Am Records was the faction's label, right? It was Adam's, it was Adam's mom. <laughs> an Adam label. They um, actually, you know, we wanted to put out our own record and we, and Adam's mom, who was a chiropractor at the time said, Hey, Adam, I'm going to give you some money to put your own record out. And so that became, I am records, you know? <laughs> um, so Adam was the one, the mastermind of making records, booking tours, you know, booking shows. I mean, he was basically kind of our manager as far as um, making things happen, you know? So I was just the talent, you know? I just went along for the ride, you know? And I was the, uh, you know, the pro skateboarder that helped get people interested in the band, you know, cause no one knew what the fa- who the faction was, but when they heard that, you know, Steve Caballero, the pro skateboarder was a part of that band, it made people want to come see the band and, um, and, you know, I was just learning how to play music. So each record got better and better because we got better at playing our, playing our instruments, you know. Um, but it was definitely a learning experience going into the studio, recording, mixing, and selling records. And, like, you know, I was selling our record you know, in my zine, you know, putting my own ads and stuff in there. And then I think we got a few ads in Thrasher Magazine, too trying to sell our first album. Um, but yeah, it was just fun times, man. It's just innocent, fun times of just kids wanting to have a good time and, and just explore and be creative in any way that we could, whether it was skateboarding, it was music. Um, it was art, you know, mm-hmm. I, I started drawing back then as well, but I never really took it seriously until, you know, around 2005, I, I wanted to, to become a better artist. So you know, I started putting in more of the work. I've got like, you know, three kids now and uh, I really hope they have something like punk rock because like, where else would you have as a young person, these sorts of skills, you know, really not just encouraged, but like sort of like it's imposed upon you that you have to kind of do this stuff when you're involved in punk. Like you have to make a zine, you have to start a label, you have to help do shows. Like there's just so many skills that you're, you acquire that through that. And obviously you get them through skateboarding too, but I don't know, just something about punk. Few places uh, give that much responsibility to a young person. Well, what I loved about skateboarding was it actually taught me how to fail to succeed. You know, it's not something that comes overnight and not something that someone's born with. Um, You have to make a lot of mistakes in skateboarding to become successful. And so I used to bring that into anything that I participated in, whether it was music, whether it was art. I knew that I had to fail many times before I could be successful mm. at it. Um, so it really taught me a lot of uh, life lessons uh, being a skateboarder. And, and that's what I love about the sport of skateboarding is it, it, it toughens you up and it, and it teach you, teaches you to, to be positive and look, look um, not so much at um, the process of it, but, but what you're going to gain at the end when you put so much – passion and hard work into it and from 1982 when i first picked up a bass till now i'm i've been playing music my whole life and i've been switching from back to bass and back to guitar and i've done that with a few bands and you know i feel like the the current band that i'm in now um it's called urethane and i started out on bass with that last year and four months into it i switched to guitar. Um, we got signed by a label and I feel like this, I'm most proud of this project um, that I'm a part of. I feel like, you know, some people might say it's like an overnight success, but I feel like I put 40 years of hard work <laughs> and labor into this band. 
Mm-hmm. And now people are starting to hear the, um, you know, everything that put into it now. I think anyone that knows, knows that you paid your dues in music, you know, and I think outside of the skateboarding too, I think the faction records hold up, you know, like I think those records are completely independent of obviously all your achievements in skateboarding. They're like, mm-hmm. they're classic punk records. They're classic hardcore records. Like no hidden messages is, is one of my favorite LPs ever. I think rips. You well, know? Adam was a great, really good songwriter. You know, um, he came from a rock and roll background. He loved ACDC. Um, you know, everybody you know gavin gavin used to write really fun catchy lyrics um but you know me and adam you know worked together as far as writing music and and then we got another a bass player uh ray stevens from los Ovadados, which added another element to the band so um we just always worked really well but adam you know always wrote you know really fun catchy tunes and and it was all for fun it wasn't really so serious you know mm-hmm. um just having a good time. We're just kids, you know, and, um, you know, we've, we've broken up, we've gotten back together. We've broken up, you know, ever since 1982 to just recently, we just played our last final shows before COVID-19 hit. And, um, we ended up, we decided to call it quits, you know, um, with the faction, um, one being Ray, um, had been ill, you know, and, and um, it was getting harder to, um, to play shows because we weren't sure what was going on with Ray. Um, he was uh, diagnosed with, um, um, I think, diabetes. Um, and, um, but he, since then, he's had some surgeries and he's had, um, he's had a liver transplant, you know, um, from his wife and he's doing a lot better. That's good. Um, but as far as musically, um, we've just kind of been playing the same songs over and over and over again. And I feel like it's a novelty, you know, and it's, it's cool that people have never seen the faction want to see the faction play. But as a musician, I feel like I'm not growing, (laughs) you know, creatively, you know, I'm just kind of like listening to the CD. Hey, you want to book a show? Yeah. I'll I'll listen to the CD for a week and play the show. And it's a done deal. Um, but I felt like I, I wasn't growing as an artist, so I kind of wanted to start a new band, you know, and with guys that were, you know, in my area, because the faction is so spread out, you know, it's, I'm here in San Diego, uh, Adam's in Las Vegas, our drummer Keith um, is in Sacramento, and then Ray and, and Gavin, our singer, uh, is in San Jose, so we weren't able to actually get together and practice and even even try to write new songs. So um, to me, you know, I, I get, that gets kind of old after a while. You know, I, I felt like, like I said, I felt like I wasn't growing as a musician. Uh, as the faction goes on, there's kind of like this sort of darker, gothier kind of, not goth, but like, you know, sort of darker tone that comes in that really seems to get a lot more pronounced in Odd Man Out. Is that like somewhere that you were kind of getting into? Were you kind of getting into sort of like gothier music or darker kind of heavier stuff around that time? Um, well, as soon as Faction broke up in 1985, I got together with our bass player from the Faction, and we just kind of started this whole new thing. And it just kind of grew organically. And we were just trying out all these different singers. And then one we found that could actually sing, you know, he kind of sounded like the Mission slash the Cure slash mm-hmm. U2. And I was really fiddling around with different guitar sounds with uh, uh, um digital delay and chorus and that's where i started to really shine as a as a guitar player and writing music and stuff and um that was a different genre of of music you know it was more cure uh, u2 style you know and every time we we'd play a show we'd still get hooked up with punk bands we'd be playing with the adolescents and be playing with suicidal tendencies and it's like they're expecting the faction and they're getting odd man out and not even, <laughs> not even, not even the same style of music, you know? Um, and that kind of lasted for a couple of years. Um, that was around 1987, 88. And um, I was touring a lot. I was uh, um, going over to Europe doing contests and demos. And I remember our bass player Ray was getting a little bummed out that I was traveling so much and we weren't playing out. And so I ended up just quitting, quitting the band and said, okay, well, you know, maybe you guys should get a, another guitar player. And uh, they just broke the band up after that. 
Um, I think that LP is amazing too. I think it's got like, uh, like you're saying, your guitar playing, it's got some real cool, interesting stuff that you're doing on there. Thank you. And it feels like, uh, I don't know, like it feels like it would have been at home with like, you know, later period or mid period TSOL or like Christian yeah. death or like, yeah. you know, there's like a, there's definitely sort of this, it's still punk enough, but like, yeah, I can see why it wouldn't go over if people were expecting suicide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, the, and then, um, after that ended, uh, you know, the grunge movement started happening around 1990, you know, and I started another band and the singer that we, we ended up getting there. Uh, I started that band with a guy who was in a band called mistaken identity. Oh yeah. Uh, it was a punk, punk band in San Jose, uh, John Hall. And, um, and then I, with the, with a drummer that I went to high school with, and then we found this guy, you know, um, Chris Landon, and he had a, he had a really strong voice, but it was very like Soundgarden, very you know um, Nirvana uh, soundish, and the music was really. I was playing bass at the time, and our guitar player was you know writing a lot of the tunes, um, and so we kind of fit in that genre, the whole the whole like Seattle sound, and that band was called Shovelhead. We put out a CD. Um, with that that style of music, and um, I remember once again we were started getting we still get hooked up with punk shows, you know, <laughs> like a like Seattle rock and you know sound. And I I remember I was like I was playing this style of music, but I was always always still listening to like uh, No Effects and No Use for a Name and all these '90s punk bands, you know. Mill and call MXPX and and I was like I was like man I really want to start a punk band you know because I'm like I'm listening to this, this style, style of music but I'm playing this kind of music so once again I told our guitar player I'm like I'm, I'm leaving I'm quitting because um I just my heart's not into this music anymore you know I mm -hmm. I, I listen to, I listen to punk you know and so that's when in 95, I started the band Soda and that was a very melodic punk um, rock band with a female, female vocalist, you know? And like I said, we, I, I never always like when I'd find vocalists for different bands, I wasn't always set on one sound. It's like if the first person that came that I could actually sing, they were in the band. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's pretty much how it went. It, it was really organic. It was like, try out all these singers Oh yeah, okay. You can sing. Oh, it happened to be a female. Okay, you're in the band. That'll be kind of a different sound. It would kind of sound like the band Tilt. Mm -hmm. We play. We actually played with Tilt back then, in you know '95, and we played a couple Warp Tour shows as well. Um, Steve Paputis, that who was in No Use for Name at the time, uh, helped produce our our album. We did a split Paputis. with them too, right? The session What's seven inch. There's a session split seven inch with no use for name. Yes, too, right? with no use for name. Exactly. I remember buying and that. You've done your history. Oh no, I'm a, I'm a record <laughs> nerd. Like right now, I'm at my wife's aunt's place. So you can't see, but normally when I record this, I'm surrounded by my. Uh, well, I guess it would be my children's albatross when I die. But my record collection, which is just a ridiculous amount of uh, of time spent listening to records. But yeah, no, definitely. In between all those bands, we would do faction reunions. And then we'd break up and then start another band, do another faction reunion um, until like the year 2000, we decided to form the faction again. That lasted four years, broke it up and then um, got back together in 2012. And we, we played, you know, shows ever since then and up until now, you know. Uh, people that are on the show um, that were around in LA, especially kind of like 84, 85 era, talk a lot about how, uh, or just, I mean, California in general, all the way up to San Francisco, especially mm -hmm. down to San Diego too, talk about the uh, the violence that came in and just how the scene kind of shifted and shows got a lot more kind of crazy, a lot more hairy. There were a lot more fights at shows and things like that. Is that something you noticed happening or do you remember that? Yeah, I mean, the reason why I think the faction broke up was the fact that the scene was terrible um and i want to say that because it was a, a skinhead scene roaming around san jose that would come and just start fights at every show yeah you know? 
I remember playing one of our last shows at San Jose State and Lars, who is now in Rancid. Um, I knew Lars as a little kid, a 10 year old kid. He was friends with the skinheads and he said, Hey, you know, I just want to warn you, the skinheads are looking for you. I'm like, looking for me for what? <laughs> like, what did I do? Yeah. You know? And they just wanted to just cause havoc. And I remember um, there's video of like um, them trying to like spit on us while we're playing. I think it's like a fourth or fifth song. And then like Gavin, like flipping them off. And um, they, they would just always just try to cause trouble, you know? And uh, I think we ended up stopped playing the show. And we just said, you know, the scene here is, is it, the scene here sucks. Um, they're just trying to ruin it for themselves. And uh, there's no reason to play in a band here anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. So, was that was that after you guys had done your first sort of U.S. tour, the '84 tour? We did. Uh, well, we did the '84 tour, and then we did the '85 tour. Okay. And after the '85 tour, we were we were a little bit like um, we we were on the verge of breaking up as well too, because uh, we weren't really getting along with our our guitar player Adam, you know. Um, and we just there were some differences in the band, and and we we just really wanted to call it quits, but then. Um, the skinheads pretty much sealed the deal. Like, it's like, you know, we're going to play one last show, you know, and I, I think it was with Husker Du we mm. played up in uh, Palo Alto. And it was one of those pay to play things where you, you pay. Um, I think you like try to sell tickets. Yeah, like Battle of the Bands know? type thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You sell tickets to play the show and then yeah. you get you even get them the money. And I remember we just sold all these tickets for the show and then we just kept the money and just took off. <laughs> we're like, we're like, we're not paying a club to pay, to play this place. They're paying us. You know? Yeah. So we just was, took off and we, we, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, we just like, we'll probably never play this place again, but this is our last show. So who cares? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I was, I thought it was the weirdest thing. Like that, that I never even heard of that pay to play. Thing, you I, know? I hear that happens a lot in LA. Like I heard that's like a lot of the downtown Los Angeles sort of like clubs, like the big clubs that you know at, at a point were all pay to play, especially in the late eighties. Yeah. Um, such a sleazy business, this music business. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was there um, like sort of a delineation to you when sort of this new scene starts? Like you mentioned all those bands that you know off the top, like No Use for a Name and and things like that. Like, do you remember when you started seeing that sort of wave of bands start cropping up? Yeah. Mid, mid, mid nineties, you know, to into the year 2000. Um, I was on the band's warp tour and that a lot of those bands were touring Mm -hmm. um, that. And I got into a lot of those bands and, um, you know, face to face, no effects, MXPX, Millen Collins, strung out, Pennywise, um you know up up into australia's body jar yeah you know all those bands were just super it's just it's the type of music that i liked you know and i think i liked them a lot because a lot of them are very melodic Mm. you know they had a punk uh energy to it but it was very singy very sing-alongy you know something that you can hum to and harmonize to and and that's the type of music that i kind of uh got attracted to um and and kind of fell in love with you know and still to this day uh, i love music punk music that's melodic you know and so i love things with harmony you know descendants were one of the very first bands that, that carried that you know um also the misfits and you know social distortion those are really um strong bands that, that, that really made an impact in my life. And, but I have to say that one of the, the biggest band from that era that made the hugest impact on me was minor threat. Mm. When they came on, when they came on in, you know, early eighties, I mean, that's, I was like, Oh my goodness, this, this, this rocks, you know, this is high energy. This is, uh, I, I love, I love what, what Mia McKay is doing here. Did you see them on that uh, when they came out to the West Coast? I did. I got to see them at the uh, the On Broadway. I think it was 1983. Um, 
was either 83 or 84. And I remember going to see them, driving up to San Francisco to go see them play. And my strongest memory of that show was the mic broke um, half the set and he did not bother to get another mic. He just kind of like mouth the whole song because everybody in the uh, in the hall were singing all the songs that he, they were playing. They knew them all. Mm-hmm. So he kind of like mouthing them while people, while the crowd was singing them. It was just, it was amazing. I was just like, oh my goodness, this guy's singing, but he's not even singing. The crowd's singing all the songs for him, <laughs> you know? It's funny because like people always talk about how serious Ian Mackay is, but when you watch footage of him, he's so performative, you know, like he does that sort of like when he's, he's just so, I don't know, such a character on stage, you know, like, yeah. like you're saying, like he's like lip syncing his own songs. Yeah. And, you know, it was rad. The energy that they had, they're the ones that, that, that made me want to get a Les Paul, you know, <laughs> and, and play, you know. And we wrote, you know, we wrote some songs that, 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 that I try to, you know, emulate what Minor Threat would, how they would play it, you know. Yeah. So. Uh, what You know, you mentioned kind of getting the idea that you guys were going to break up after that last West Coast tour with the faction. Uh, why did you guys decide, though, to do the record with Mystic? Cause you had done everything else on your own prior to, was it just yeah. you were guys wrapping up and you're just like, we needed somewhere to do this record. I think that was one of the first labels that actually was attracted to the band. Mm. It was actually our first, like, Hey, someone's noticing our band and they're going to, they're going to pay for us to go down to LA and record an out, uh, you know, EP. So that was, that was our closest thing to being signed by a label, you know, cause we did everything ourselves, you know, well, that's the thing, because you guys, ever, up until that record, everything, like you're saying, I Am Records did everything, or everything. your Faction Productions, even on that first tape comp. Yeah, that was actually, um, what's funny about that that compilation, um, that was the first recordings that we ever had, and the Faction Productions was, that was the name of the guy who was running the thing. We didn't even have a name for our band. <laughs> so that was before the faction like you know they basically said hey well once you use this you know the faction but faction productions had nothing to do with the band it was a guy producing the tape i always thought you guys were doing it like when it said faction productions on the back no. of the records i'm like wow this band's organized they've got their no, no, production no. company that was the guy that's pretty much where we got our name from yeah yeah that that's awesome that first tape is incredible like obviously only ever heard that on the internet but just the range of bands. Like you mentioned the, uh, the draft was a growing pains one, right? Yeah. The growing pains tape, which, which has like a puss head drawing on the cover. Yeah. I think even, um, but you mentioned the drab who went on that first tour with you, Brian Ray Turcotte, who fucked up and photocopied and, you know, one of the great punk archivists of all time, but like, there's just so many great bands in that little scene. And there's, you know, uh, you know, that you mentioned Lars, there's that infamous photo of the Necros playing, I believe yeah. it's Gavin's backyard, or is it? Or no, our friend Ronnie that that lived in um, Santa Clara, I think it was in Santa Clara, and Lars is like ten years old. Yeah, and he was a big fan of of our band, and um, we did. Our drummer forgot the, his uh, his rug, so the 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 bass drum kept moving forward. So the whole set, Lars is sitting in front of the uh, the drum bass to hold it there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, what's cool is we played with rancid um i think a few uh, up to a few years ago and um La- i think it was in san francisco and lars did the exact same one we did <laughs> that photo so we have a photo of that from 1984 or 83 i think it was um to 2020 you know or 2019 i think it was um of Lars sitting in front of our, our drum bass drum. Must be a bigger bass drum at that point too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's cool. It's cool to see, you know, um, him grow up and, and I knew, I knew Lars would somehow make it in some kind of band because he's always been true to punk. His, Mm. his, the attitude, his, the look, I mean, he was, I mean, I would see him like downtown and he's dressed up in, you know, spiked hair, le- leather jacket. And he, he just always lived it, you know, 
and finally he you know got into a band that, that, that you know he fit right in to well it's wild the waves of people that you've kind of inspired you know like i've just you know like myself you know lars obviously before that there's kids i have on this show that are younger than me kids are adults but they're younger than me but they talk about how they first got exposed to punk music by hearing skate and destroy on the tony hawk game you know like there's mm -hmm. just it's just amazing how this kind of carries on and keeps inspiring people you know like your thing's going to be playing with bands that are like the fifth generation of people you've inspired now probably i mean um like i said uh it's just it's just really cool i'm like i'm just using all my connections that i've met all through my whole music industry um to make this project work and and um you know, um, like I said, I'm very proud of this band. Um, I, I hear nothing but but good things about what we're doing. So I feel like we're on the right track. Um, and I'm excited to just keep writing new music and, and, and getting to know these guys. I don't even know these guys very well. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I've only known them for less than a year, you know. But we wrote a great record uh, with a great producer um, named Cameron Webb who's worked with um, Motorhead, he's worked with Pennywise, Alkaline Trio, Strung Out. Um, he's worked with, he's, his, his, um, the history of bands that he's worked with and produced are, are amazing. So um, I think you'll enjoy what he's done with our record. Oh, the record's fantastic. I was listening to oh. it actually today. And it, it's, oh, cool. it's, it's awesome. Like, like you're saying, like, you know, you, you've dedicated your life to music and it's just as much as, you know, you've been skateboarding almost as long you've been playing music in different bands. And yeah. do you ever feel like the fact that you were skateboarding at such a high level, it, it, it sort of split your focus? Like a lot of people who come on the show, like Scott Radinsky from 10 foot pole will come talked about the fact that being a pro baseball player, you know, pulled him away from music in a certain way. Like you couldn't mm. be focused on it. Did you find that too? Like you keep mentioning how, you know, you had bands, you'd have to leave a band at a certain point or certainly with Odd Man Out because of touring. Well, here's a, here's a scenario that happened. So when I started Soda, I started that from scratch. Uh, I built a, a music studio in my backyard um, in 94. And I hooked up with a drummer. Then in turn, finally found a bass player. Um, and then he brought his guitar player. And then we found a singer after that. And as soon as we were established writing songs, playing, um, we put out our first demo tape that we recorded by ourselves. Um, I get C. Paputas calling me and saying, hey, um, we need a guitar player to join No Use for a Name. Do you want to, do you want to be in the band? And I just started Soda. So mm -hmm. I would have to make a choice of rather going like, I just started this band we're just starting to play. We got, you know, and I'm going to leave you and go to no use for a name and, and go on tour. And I just looked at my career. I was like, I'm still a professional skateboarder. Um, and I felt bad, like leaving this project that I started. And I was like, yeah, I had to say no to, to Paputis, you know, and, and, and tell him I, Thank you for the offer. I would love to be in the band, but uh, it's just not in the cards for me right now. And they ended up getting uh, Chris Shiflett mm -hmm. um, to play and and sing, and and what way better choice than me? But, uh, way better guitar player, better singer. He fit the band really well. And then Chris went off went off to play in the Foo Fighters as well. So, um, you know, that was a, a fork in the road. That was a, a choice I had to make. I mean, I could have probably said bye to soda, um, put the skateboard career on, on hold and, and join No Use for a Name and go on tour with them, you know, but uh, I decided not to. Well, yeah, because it's just, you know, you're, I guess it's a sweet problem to have where you have these two things in your life that could be kind of your focus, but at the same time, like it must be at certain points, like you're saying, it's frustrating when you when you have these options in front of you that you have to you'd have to shuttle your whole skateboarding career to, to be in a full-time band like that. Like no use for a name was a full-time band, right? Yeah. They toured a lot. <laughs> and I, I, and I looked at that and I'm like, Hmm, 
and being married at this at that time too it's like i don't know if that's gonna work out you know i'm not married now so i can go on tour as much as i want (laughs) so (laughs) i'm saying yeah at this point in your life you can finally uh you can you can do the uh the three months of touring and and be okay with it and stuff like that uh what was the deal with super cool tough guys um that was a pretty cool little project that me and Tommy Guerrero uh, put together. We were at skate camp in Visalia, 1987. And I had this little four track that I would mess around um, in between like odd man out and Shovelhead, I'd, and write my own songs. And I brought it to skate camp with me and I had Tommy Guerrero bring his guitar and uh, drum machine. And I brought mics and um, my bass and we wrote the song together and we called it super cool for Steve Caballero, tough guys, Tommy Guerrero. <laughs> and we were, we, we wrote the song in our dorm room at, at Visalia skate camp and we showed it to Thrasher and they loved it that they put it on a flexi disc and they, they did it as a giveaway for Thrasher magazine. Yeah, no, I, I, have a, I have a stack of those still somewhere. <laughs> when you go on yeah. tour, you got to make covers for them and you can sell them on the merch table. I know. It's pretty cool. It's, it's a really cool thing. So Tommy uh, programs a drum machine. I play bass and sing and he plays guitar. Mm. On that. Yeah. Was, uh, was there ever talk of doing more stuff with that or is it just that one flexi like one-off project type thing? It was a one-off project thing that, that me and Tommy messed around with, you know, cause Tommy, Tommy had been in bands just as long as I had, when I was playing in the faction back in the day, he was playing in a band called free beer with oh, yeah, his brother. Yeah. yeah Tony Guerrero. Um, so Tommy's been playing music pretty much his whole life as well. And he's an established musician, you know, and skateboard, a skateboard company owner. Once again, it's, it's just, there's so many prolific artists doing all sorts of stuff, be it, you know, businesses or, or music stuff at this time. Um, was there, are there any bands that you kind of look back upon that you wish had had more focus or that had more attention? Like, you know, obviously Minor Threat's legendary and there's a lot of legendary bands, but are there any bands that, you know, didn't maybe get records out in the way that they should have, you think, or that you saw back then? Um, not really. I mean, I can't speak for, I can't speak for any other bands, you know, or what I wish they, they did. I mean, I'm bummed that Minor Threat broke, broke up so early because mm-hmm. I just loved what they were doing. Um, but obviously Ian McKay's heart was into it, wasn't into it. You know, I, I, I think the way it's gone, I'm happy with the way it's gone and, 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 and what has come out and, and the music that was produced in the early eighties to the nineties to 2000. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of being part of that scene, um, to the point where, um, um, Fat Mike from No Effects and um, Fletcher from Pennywise are putting together this project. Uh, they're starting this museum in um, Vegas. And I got an email from Fat Mike having him wanted me to be a part of it and him mentioning, saying, like, you know what, dude? He's like, the faction means so much to me he's like it influenced me to play music uh to be in this band no effects and you are you know you are a a huge influence and inspiration to what i do so i i want you to be a part of this punk rock museum so that meant a lot to hear that from him you know and how successful he has been and the fact that this band that we did I mean, the band was together from 82 to 85 and we toured in a small van for two years straight or two years with a a month each time and just playing gigs here and there and a couple, you know, shows up and down the coast, um, getting paid 50 bucks, 100 bucks, but nothing really major. those times were very innocent and very influential that we didn't even know what kind of effect this little skate rock band was having on people. Um, but you know, um, it did touch some lives. 
No, the whole way through too. Like, you know, you, not just the faction, but like odd man out, like you've done it, you know, like I have so much respect for your career in music because it's always been rooted in the sort of punk rock world, but you've done so many different things and you've done, you know, you've done all these different styles and evolved with this thing, but you've always done it independent. Like no one can accuse you of, of trying to cash in on the music side of things. Like, you know, like from soda going back to the faction, like it's always DIY. Yeah. And that's because um, maybe the bands didn't last long enough or what wasn't at the right time, right place at the right time to get noticed by a label. But to be honest with you, any kind of musician playing music for a living, they want to get signed. They want, they want to do the touring. They want to, they want to become successful. And it's not, it's not about selling out. Um, It's about cashing in and, and being successful and, and all the hard work you put into something that people recognize you for that, you know, um, obviously we did it for fun, but you know, work is work, you know, and, and to get paid for it, it's, it's beneficial, you know, um, a lot of time goes into writing music. A lot of time goes into practicing twice or three times a week and you're dealing with drama, you know, personalities and you're dealing with time constraints and, people's egos and, and learning to, to get along with each other. Um, it's a lot of work, you know, and I, I find, I find that for me, if I'm in a band, I don't care how good of a musician you are. I have to get along with you. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to work well with you. And I, and I've tried starting bands here and there that I just felt like, you know what, it, it's not going anywhere. It doesn't flow right. And I'm just going to say goodbye. You know, I, uh, I, I like to like, seize opportunity and and when i see something's not going in a positive direction i i I steer away from it you know and that's how i make better choices and less drama and less stress in my life you know yeah it's better to be with great people than it is to be with great players in a lot of times like you know no for sure (laughs) for sure it was a very humbling experience to see that metallica documentary some kind of monster Mm. you know that really blew my mind i i i I really was like whoa a band like metallica goes through the same hardships and same struggles as a small little band starting up they they are dealing with the exact same issues Mm -hmm just on a, you know, they're just more famous, more money, but same issues, same problems, you yeah. know? Yeah. Well, it's like outside of a marriage, like how many more intense relationships are there than being in a band with someone? You're like living with them. It's tough. <laughs> I, I think being in a band is, is more tougher than being in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a single relationship. You're dealing mm. with five different, yeah. four or five different personalities. Yeah. You know? polyamorous so nightmare. <laughs> yeah. And so when we started this band, urethane i wanted to keep it small you know because less people less drama (laughs) but um you know i just had this wild hair of wanting to play guitar again and i just love the sound of guitar and the tones and 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 the energy it brings and i felt like the band would would be so much better if we had two guitars um complementing each other Mm. you know so that's why we became a four piece and i'm i'm glad that our singer can sing and play guitar because that cuts one less person out of the picture and a lead singer a guitarless lead singer is the most dramatic person you can have in a band as we all know right yeah. like well yeah and he's a great songwriter too so he wrote you know all a lot of these songs our bass player brought some songs um to the album as well and you know um i've only brought you know my influence to the to the to the band um and and the sound um but hopefully on the next record i can have um some songs that i wrote myself um but i wrote a bunch of licks and and hooks in this one you know mm-hmm. um well i've kept you for a while steve and i could talk to you forever and anytime <laughs> you want to come back on here and talk about this stuff please know the door is always open appreciate but, it but before i let you go can i ask you one more question sure how many issues of skate punk were there and will you reissue it? Uh, skate punk zine ended up, uh, probably four issues. And then, um, after skate punk, I, I created, um, we'll see what happened was skate punk was a Xerox little magazine. 
And then um, I started with my our singer from the faction and his brother, um, Gavin and Coy O'Brien. And because my dad owned a print shop, I started uh, half-toning the photo. He wanted me to, my dad's on, it'll look so much better if you just half-tone the photos. And if you type out the stuff instead of writing it out. So I started doing that and the, the, the little zine started getting, looking like a magazine. Yeah. You know? And and I and I could tell like Gavin and Coy weren't into it. And then I started putting skimboarding in there, snowboarding in there. And he's like, they're like, what is this? This isn't an action now magazine. Like this was skate punk. It's supposed to be skate and punk rock. And me being open-minded, I just wanted to keep doing this. So they off they went off and started their own zines called Skate and Zine. And so I continued skate punk by myself. And by the fourth issue of skate punk, it just got a very overwhelming with half-toning photos, typing everything, trying to get ads and everything that I just went, I'm done with that. And I want to go back to the original way I did um, skate punk. And I started speed zine, just putting photos on there and um, writing stuff out. And I think we did up to nine issues of speed zine and the very, very last issue of speed zine, um, color copies came out. I don't remember when the first color copier came out. Um, there's a cover of uh, John Gibson from Texas. And I forgot who else was um, on that, but it was a color Xerox copy zine. Oh, that's awesome. I'd never seen, I'd never seen one of those ever. And I was so excited to show the world, like, check this out. We have, it's a color copy zine. <laughs> that's awesome we gotta yeah. if you ever do want to reissue it i think you'd have one buyer right here i'm, I'm first in line for this Thanks. i still have a lot of the mock-ups the original mock-ups of all these of the speed zines yeah oh it's, it's just begging you to do it <laughs> yeah we've done some zine shows where i've shown some of the mock-ups um you know um the guys dedicated these art shows to like the invention of the of the zine mm-hmm. you know um, so we, we showcase a couple skate punks and, and speed zines in there. Well, when that book comes out, you got to come back on the show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, Steve, for coming on the show. And I look forward to that skate punk book coming out. How wild is that? He, he originated the term skate punk, which is now just part of the lexicon, right? Like we're all just like, you know, familiar with that term, but like it had to come from somewhere. Came from Steve Zine. That was awesome. Um, and uh, once again, please check out Urethane's brand new record, Chasing Horizons, coming out on September 24th over on Cybertracks. And you can pre-order that now and get ready for that thing to drop. It's fantastic. I've listened to it, as you heard in the interview. And, uh, you know, as I say, it continues Steve's legacy as a sort of punk rock journeyman. Also, you know, the skateboarding thing, too. <laughs> Speaking of things I'm excited for, next week on the show, it's a big one. It's a huge week here. It is Negative Approach Week. That's right, because we will have two members from the Negative Approach family joining me on the show. First of all, a live interview that I recorded with Chris O.P. Moore, as he is famously known, who was the original drummer, well, not the original, the second drummer of Negative Approach, but the one who played on the 7-inch and the LP. He also plays in Incredibly Incredible Crosswires. Before that, he played in Youth Patrol. He is one of the sweetest people I know, and I am so happy that I finally get to play this interview for you because also I've been holding off on playing you this one because I knew we were going to have this other interview coming up, and it'll be dropping on Friday with my Frank Sinatra, the vocal god, John Brannon will be coming on the show because finally, finally, this to me is one of the great lost recordings of all time in punk rock. Finally, Third Man Records will be releasing to the world John Brannon's first band, The Static. And these recordings have been talked about and and theorized about and pontificated on by myself for years, but by many people for years. And we get into it on the next episode, but oh my gosh, I'm ex- am I excited for you to hear not just Chris's episode and John's episode, but these recordings because I, I, I've heard them and they're, they live up to all the hype. Okay. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping for joy. You get to hear this next week. I'm excited for next week's episodes. Oh boy. Oh, 
boy, oh boy. Uh, but that's it for today's episode. Remember, as always, black lives matter. The lives of indigenous peoples matter. We need to protect trans kids. We need to help trans people protect themselves. We need to stop hate and violence towards Asian people and people of different faiths and, and just knock all that shit off. Once again, this isn't political stuff. This is just basic human rights stuff. There's other stuff that's political, and you can talk about all that stuff as well. But th this stuff is just basic human rights stuff. So, you know, fuck off to all the Nazis, all the fascists. We don't need them. We don't need them at all. Uh, we also respect the w women's right to choose or people with uteruses' rights to choose. Um, we, we respect people's freedom of choice here. And that has always been the case and will always be the case. Uh, so please get involved. Look at organizations that are doing good work. Look at organizations that are, are fighting to, to make the world a better place. Donate your time, donate your body to protests, call, call that fucked up abortion tip line and flood it, flood it with fake information right now in Texas, you know, <laughs> because we got to shut this shit down. Because the thing is, this isn't just an American thing. This shit spreads, this shit, this shit, this shit spreads. Uh, and in Canada, it spreads to us. It, we see it time and time again. What happens in America eventually comes to Canada and we got to shut this shit down now. So get involved, get involved, um, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you're not going to need them. You know, you, they're just dead weight at that point. So you can give someone else a new lease on life. So why not do it? Why not? Speaking of things you may want to do, you know, why not try and do something creative? Make your own culture, start a band, start a fanzine, start just drawing pictures. You know, it doesn't have to be something you show to the world. It just could be for yourself. But I promise you, it will help you with your mental health. Um, and then it, if you decide to wind up doing it professionally, it might hurt your mental health. But for in the immediate, though, it will help with your mental health. Uh, you might want to also try meditating because I didn't believe in that shit at all. And now I try and I find for me it, it, it's helped. So maybe it'll help you too. Who knows? Who knows? And that's it. I will see you next week for Negative Approach Week. Oh my gosh, am I excited. And that's it. Bye. Thanks for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.